As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Crystal Palace are on their way to Wembley. We'll discuss the changes for them under manager Patrick Vieira. What about changes for Frank Lampard? His Everton side were roundly beaten. Is it the right tact for the club going forward? Liverpool make it through to the semi-finals, but beat Nottingham Forest on the way. Their manager, Steve Cooper, will be a topic of conversation. We'll also talk about Kane and Son linking up once again for Spurs and our most awkward manager interviews. This is the the game. Hello again, welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. I hope you had a great weekend. I'm joined today by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Tom Roddy. Uh, we'll be discussing events, I think, firstly in the FA Cup. There was some intrigue in the Premier League as well, but I think we should start by giving some much needed praise to Crystal Palace um, because they've cruised into the FA Cup semi-finals. They beat Everton 4-0 at home. After a great start by Everton, it was quickly subdued. Their defensive frailties returned and we will come to Everton in more detail. But Tom, as I said, Patrick Vieira deserves credit. He's created an exciting team and they have other threats than Wilfred Zaha for the first time in a long time. They do. And what's interesting is he's been experimenting for quite a while now where you've you, with that attack... Um, I mean, there was there was so much reliance for years and years on Zaha, but you look at him talk after yesterday, and it's almost like his future, he's settled where he is now. He's completely settled in at that club and sees the optimism that, that is there with uh, Elise and Mateta and Eze, of course. It's, it's, it's an exciting club right now. It's an exciting place to be. And, and the thing as well is that there's not, this, there's not this sort of fluctuation in form. I mean, we saw last week the draw at City. There's, there's resilience as well. Um, they've got a lovely balance there. And, of course, at the beginning of the season, who would have predicted this, really? Because there was so much uncertainty over how well Patrick Vieira would do. There's, there's this kind of looming... Uh, possibility of him being the the second Frank de Boer and it's worked out so so well for them you look at that the semi-finals that are there and you can you can say that they are the the least likely to go through but they have the only teams that have really have really battered them this season were um, Chelsea on the opening day of the season and I think Liverpool in September as well both of those results were 3-0 since then they've not really been thumped at all I think they're a very good side at the moment Alison? I just wanted to say I think they're the team of the week because I was at Selhurst Park on Monday night last week where they delivered almost the opposite sort of performance it was defensively 
very, you know, they, they concentrated so hard against Manchester City. They kept it to nil-nil, which according to Bill Edgar is a very rare result these days, nil-nil. <laughs> um, and their, their discipline and their hard work, it was a proper grafting performance. They were relying totally on just trying to get something on the counter, which they weren't able to do. But to, to keep City to nil-nil was fantastic. And it was born of the sort of hard work you get from a team when they completely buy into the manager. And the fact that he can switch it around like that, go from a performance that was such hard work, such hard work, and then play against Everton and where they ease themselves into the game and were basically playing a front four is... I mean, that's, ta- you know, that's that's a manager on top of his tactical game and knowing his players well enough to know what they can and can't do and how they can switch it around. So, yeah, let's let's call him manager of the, the full week. <laughs> the, full, the full week. League and cup. Tony, Jean-Philippe Mateta, um, bit of a throwback, running the channels as a big man. What do you think of his performances? Well, he's very fortunate that he's got Elise and Saha alongside him, like Tom had just touched on because he does lead the line really well, but he'll also try and turn defenders. I mean, we're going to talk probably a bit about Everton, who were quite easily turned, by the way, at the weekend. It's a really weird thing, because sometimes you you look at a player and you think, what's the difference between him and Benteke? You know, know, because Benteke is a leader of the line, he's done it, got goals elsewhere in in the Premier League. And I think he combines much better and looks a better finisher than Benteke. And also, you can add in... One thing that not many people are touching on about Palace is Mitchell and Klein. Nathaniel Klein, who's a player that seemed, or was deemed you know, sort of not good enough for the Premier League, he's come in and done really well. And the young lad Mitchell on the left, it feels like the whole of the Palace team are working in tandem together and also have a, an end product. That front three is a handful. And he plays a really good part. At the end of my career, I played with two tricky wingers and me down the middle. And I loved it because my expectation wasn't to get behind defenders. It was always just to lead the line and have runners and quick ones, which obviously Alyssa and uh, Zaha are, that I always found my job really easy. And I think he's got a really easy job. I'd say that. I'm not being flippant, but an easier job than most centre-forwards because there's so much out wide for Palace. And, And that has made him have a bit of inner confidence, a bit of belief about his game. And can he score enough goals? I think that's the big test for him. Mm. Because so what, it, it's what you're there. saying is that what's the difference between Mateta and Benteke? Mateta does everything Benteke doesn't do. Well, he he has led the line. Uh, he's been a woeful finisher. Honestly, Al. I think the finishing... The, if Christian Benteke could hit a barn door uh, more often, he would be a far better you know, proposition for Palace. You think he would start ahead of Mateta if he was a I think, finisher? But I, I think Mateta has proved that he's a better finisher mm. and he hasn't got great numbers yet, but I think there's way more to come. And it was interesting that even though when he was there and they obviously got a permanent deal done for him in the end, mm. that there wasn't that much excitement around him, but that excitement has grown over the last few months under Vieira. The last week of the year, Patrick Vieira was being asked if Mateta was going to stay at the club, whether he was going to go back. He, mm. It was one of those situations where he wasn't really being used. So it is a very quick turnaround to him now being sort of an integral part of the team. Um, you mentioned the two fullbacks. That is very important, Tony. Mark Gahey and Joe Kim Anderson mm. in central defence as well. It's been highlighted their ability on the ball is a massive yeah. help for Crystal Palace. Why is that? Why? Because central defenders now, as we know in the game, are getting on the ball a lot. There's a lot of 
passing between them, the use of passes as well. It's made Pal- and I don't want to be unfair to Roy here. I know Alison knows him really well, and Roy had a structure of a football team. You knew what Roy team t- team was about. There is a bit more flair, and there's a lot more passing ability in the team. And the two centre halves have that in. You know, they just have it. They they can both get on the ball. They can both play. Um, Gay is very quick as well. He can recover brilliantly from, you know, being turned and get back and defend. He's a bit Des Walker like, where he's half a yard behind. He's getting you. Um, so I think ha- Anderson. I saw a lot of uh, Fulham and Leon previously, and he was always known as a a centre half that could play on the ball. Would t- would sometimes take the odd risk that was too big. He hasn't done that at Palace. He's, he's taken less risk, but still been able to keep the ball. I mean, it's it, look, so far this season, I think we're all in agreement. We would have never envisaged Palace being where they are. You know, I thought it was going to be a real difficult season after Roy left because of so much good work to keep Palace in the Premier League. But it's been way beyond what I expected. And, and it's been more enjoyable for the fans they bought bought into it Selhurst Park's a rocking ground if you go there enough you you know you experience a, yeah. I mean I laugh because uh, as a young man growing up going to watch Crystal Palace it was silent in the stands mm. most games it was never a rocking atmosphere mm. but it's become that I said at the start of the season that I feared for Crystal Palace yeah. because easy I've, I've, easy yeah because yeah. I've seen clubs they're 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 approaching recruitment was really good in that they brought in sort of young players mm. But loads that he loads of players who'd either been in the bottom three last season or had been in the championship. Even Will Hughes, uh, a player that had been in the Premier League before but had been relegated, mm. um, he's done great in the time that he's been on the pitch. You had Conor Gallagher who went down yeah. last year, Joachim Anderson who went down last year, Mark Gay who was a championship player, Elise mm. was a championship player. The season before they brought in Eberichi Eze who was very good but then had the big injury, so yeah. I feared for them in that regard as well. And it's all just coming together, and it's it's great at the moment. And I I, I do want to mention Michael Lise. I'm not going to ask yeah. any questions about him, but I just love his attitude. Um, he's got a really single-mindedness. You know, this thing that everyone praises Cristiano Ronaldo about, but then also says it's one of the things that makes him look, look like a bad teammate because when it doesn't go right, he looks really frustrated. But you can tell watching Michael Lise that he wants to show everyone that he's a great player and he wants to be the player that affects the game, most importantly. And in, in my mind, again, I'm not comparing them both as players, but it did remind me of Ronaldo because he's only ever happy if he's the one who got the goal or had the key moment in the game. And Elise already seems to me to be that player who wants to have that responsibility. And, and as a young player who's been in the championship, to see him out there, I mean, in a weird way yeah. you can complain if you're a fan because he, he sort of if he doesn't score the goal he doesn't celebrate as much yeah. you know he doesn't seem to be involved in it all as <laughs> he seems quite disappointed if someone else runs off to celebrate in front of the fans but I do think that's a positive that he wants to be that player particularly a forward player that wants to be that player yeah just one word on that is that this happens at football clubs and it's happened to me a few times it's great to have competition and if Zaha was the main man and Elise thinks, well, I can be as good as him and I think I could be even better. And you start getting a little bit of competition within your own camp. And I think they've got a bit of that. I mean, we've talked all about Palace players. I like MacArthur. Mm. And he's not been in the team, you know. And I, mm. I really like him as a player. I think he does a great job for Palace. Now, they've got competitions going on. We haven't even mentioned Conor, Conor Gallagher, really, as mm. you know, his performances for Palace this year. Um, and I think there's a lot of that going on. West Ham get lauded for their great, you, you know, unit of players, mm-hmm. great attitude. What's the difference between Crystal Palace and West Ham? Mm. As a team, would you say that that... that 
Crystal Palace team that we're watching has got a great bond there, even though it's in, done in a slightly different way. I think it's a massive bond at Palace, go, grow, and it's growing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic uh, from them. I went to Goodison Park. Let's talk about Everton next. To see their game against Newcastle United in the Premier League on Thursday night, and maybe the fact they played on Thursday night factored a little bit in their FA Cup game this weekend. I think there was a massive physical and, in particular, emotional draining of Everton in that game I mean I genuinely at the, at the final whistle you thought it was the final game of the season and Everton had just stayed up there were tears you know in the crowd there were ex-players I mean it was the the, the celebrations from the, the coaching staff who were in the, fro, the, the row just in front of us the likes of Ashley Cole their, their analysts um, some of the suits from the club you know Bill Kenwright who was just down in front of me and I, it, it was almost slightly odd. I mean, it, it, because there was obviously still a lot. Did you cringe? Of, did you find it cringy? I, I didn't cringe, but I sort of went. I know they have two games in hand, and I sort of thought, did they think right? We've got the win, and we've got two games in hand, so we'll 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 be okay from here on out. Um, or whether it was just the fact that they went down to ten men and they thought they were going to definitely lose, and suddenly you're leaving with three points. That maybe they were a bit amazed by the end of the game, and and there was 14 minutes added on. In the end, it was about 20 because there were stoppages during the 14 minutes, and maybe it was just you know it'd been an emotional investment in the evening on the evening because I said at the end of the game that Everton were dreadful with 11 players. I mean, awful. And if if Chris Wood was a better more instinctive goal scorer, they definitely would have lost that match. Um, they could not put together more than three or four passes in the entire game. I mean, it was people at home. It didn't feel like that in Goodison Park, but every reaction from those watching on TV was like, what a terrible match. What a terrible game. These Both of these teams were dreadful. I actually thought Newcastle weren't that bad with the ball, but Everton didn't contribute much. And they won and it's great. And that's what football's all about. I thought they'd get battered this weekend so the first 20 minutes when they were actually really good and had that high intensity I was like okay I was totally wrong and then I saw the scoreline at the end and I, I again I think maybe the Thursday night played into it but I still fear for them as, as a team I just don't think they defend that well and that's the big thing for me the, the, there's a reason they're down there at the bottom of the league I also thought Lampard didn't keep a, a, um, a lid on things after Thursday night like he allowed the, the the meaning of that result to to be wildly inflated, and all this talk about the broken hand and the celebrations, and no one really questioned why it was such a big celebration, because I still don't understand now why it was such a big celebration. It was a huge three points. Friday night Leeds win. You're still in it, and obviously, it all bo- I think it will all boil down eventually to if Burnley can find any form. If they don't, then Everton are going to be fine. Um, but but you know it did not surprise me that they then went to Palace and were comfortably beaten in the end and watching their defending for some of the goals which could have easily been more by the way there were some other very good chances for Crystal Palace Tony Cascarino who sat on my left he's made the bold claim that never again will Frank Lampard field three at the back for Everton Mm. but he probably will he has well, to. It'd be, well, he has it'd to. It'd be crazy because I, I, I've seen Everton enough. And Have you look, seen them with four? They're yeah, I, I know. I've seen them with four. But they were, look, what was the what was the? If I said to you, what would be the worst tactic to do against Crystal Palace? For me, would be playing three at the back and allowing space to be exploited by the danger areas of Crystal Palace, which is Zaha and Alisse. Okay, that's a really bad tactic. For but me. if it goes to a flat back five, is that better to cope with wingers? Well, if they're going to sit, I mean, look, if you're going to have wing backs or full backs, if you have wing backs, it's a bad tactic because you, 
you're allowing space in behind and you're dragging centre-halves out of position. I've seen many a manager... Look, Keane's been there, Michael Keane's been at Everton for about five years. Holgate's been there since 19, so we're three years. And Godfrey's been since 20. Now, I've seen Mina as well in, 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 this, in them formations. And I've seen Everton a few times get absolutely blown away by three at the back. And I mean three at the back with the wing-backs pushed forward. Dreadful. And they all get dragged around. Michael King gets dragged everywhere. Holgate does. And they get caught behind the ball. And and I and I said uh, in my column this morning, this this result was a good result for for Everton because it will stop him doing it again. I don't believe if he goes with that three. If you've got the personnel to do three at the back, I have no problem because there's no one way to be successful in in, in anything in sport sport wise. If you've got the personnel to go three at the back and play that system and do it well, I haven't got an issue. I don't see anything with that them having three at the back. See, this is the thing. I think the reason that he thinks he can do it is Holgate's quite quick, Godfrey is as well. So when they do get dragged out wide, maybe they can use their pace. But on the ball, all three of those have been very yeah, poor. Yeah, poor, yeah. And I, I don't see how they can start their game going forward from those players at the back and how they can build through the, 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 mm. the levels of the team. With that, with being so poor yeah, on the ball, Hugh, Hugh, I think they could do three at the back if they could control the game more. No, but it, there's a real big flaw. There's being quick and getting the wrong side of people. They 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 continually Holgate does it and Godfrey does it a lot. You get the wrong side of a, a forward, and you try and you try nipping in front and try and win the ball. Once they're behind you, you're snookered, and that happened on numerous occasions yesterday. And like I've said, I've seen Everton get battered with three at the back, and and some of them players who played Saturday have been in the team when I've watched them play three at the back. So I look, and like you said about the Newcastle game, is that it was a bit of a free pass because. They got result. I mean, I still think Leeds' performance was probably the worst I watched of the week, and they won the game at Wolves. <laughs> I just couldn't believe the first half of Leeds United. The big but for me is that Frank won't come into question too much about him personally and on the tactics, but I don't want to sound like I'm sticking pins in him, but he got it wrong as well for me at Crystal Palace. Because like I said in the very start... Do not let wide areas against Palace be exploited because they'll destroy you. Tony, Frank Lampard has a repast. He doesn't think it was the tactics. No, no, no. Far from it. <laughs> Afterwards, he says, you're playing at the cutthroat end of football. This is the FA Cup quarterfinals. If you haven't got the confidence to play, you can flip it and say, have you got the bollocks to play? Apologies, but that's the football term. We didn't play that badly today. Palace didn't play that well. It was a lack of confidence and a lack of what I just said. It wasn't tactics. Palace couldn't get out of their half in the first 20 minutes. So, Ali, do excuse my language. Do Everton lack bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they do now. Now that their manager's blooming well put it out there. Is that, I mean, I just find that peculiar in terms of sports psychology that you tell the world that not only is the team lacking confidence, which they would be given their league position, they're also lacking bollocks. Why would you let the world know you think that about them? Also, in the context of the fact he's had quite a lot of attention, Lampard, with his alleged broken hand. I didn't see a cast on his limb. Um, so it, it, it's sort of like he'd, he'd He'd given everything. He personally had given everything to the, the win on Thursday night. And he said he'd be happy to break a bone every game, didn't he? If it meant mm. that they got points every game. Suddenly he's this embodiment of someone who's prepared to become an M. Night Shaleman hero and break every bone in his body <laughs> to become a saviour for the club. And now he's putting that 
is comparing that to his team and saying they haven't got the bollocks. And this is important because Frank Lampard is a manager at this level, not because he's proven himself as a manager necessarily, but because he was such a fantastic midfielder who was the complete all-round midfielder. He worked incredibly hard, scored amazing goals. I mean, mm. you, you, you don't get an epitome of someone who scored from midfield. If you think of someone who scores well from midfield, it's, it's Frank Lampard, isn't he? The way he arrived, his timing. And he was brave and he had bollocks. <laughs> and suddenly you've got this, I think you've got this, um, it happens sometimes, you get a gap where the manager is too posh for the club, his record's too great for the club. And he's He's underlining it. He's come in and he's saying they don't have what I had. I was amazing. I had all these qualities and they don't have it. And it, it's the wrong approach. You can say this stuff in the summer when they're safe, perhaps, if he wants to, and then get some more money if they ever pass any, you know, if the Premier League doesn't stop them having a transfer ban for... Anyway, that's a different story. And that's a possibility. But you don't do it now. Now, at the you know, the business end of the season... Cup run's gone. They've got to stay up. Don't start doing this weird public psychoanalysis of your team where you're just telling them they're not as good as I was. But in a way, I liked his change of tact because I, I have seen him in his time at Everton be someone who thinks he's the Chelsea boss. You know, like he has always had that air of, I'm going to be a quality manager one day. I'm going to be a top manager one day. And what happened at Chelsea almost wasn't my fault. You know, you see what I mean? And people had questioned whether he was the character for a relegation battle, which is why I like the change of tone. Mm. Because when he went there, it was all about, we're going to have quality on the ball, we're going to play much better football. It was a, a an upper half mentality. And it was like, you're not an upper, you're not a top half team. You're a bottom half team for a reason. And it's, there are going to be other things than exactly. being he's good now, on the ball. Exactly, he's but, left nothing. There's nothing left. No, but he's, he's slagged he, them he, off for lacking he's a challenging quality. Them. And now he's slagged them off for having no character and no bollocks. <laughs> I don't think he's earned his stripes and I've said that he's been the Silver Spoon manager where he's been given quite a lot and did okay at Derby, finished the same as Gary Rowett's Derby, you know, sixth in the table, lost the playoff to get to the Premier League, um, had Mason Mount Traore, um, Harry Wilson they were at the football club bought in a few players as well had you know one of the reasons why they got in trouble because they overspent and they overspent when he was manager that's not his fault it's just an owner had got it quite wrong um, gets to Chelsea has an embargo younger players come in a lot of them ended up playing and then some of them moving on um, ended up being ninth got sacked at Chelsea now you could say slightly unfortunate uh, for Frank Lampard because there was you know Chelsea's expectations are always going to be huge um, but gets the Everton job now Frank's got to prove himself like everybody else and what Alison touched on about sometimes when you go after players and there's no, if you can honestly say that tactically that was right there was nothing wrong with tactics you'd not watch the game that I've watched because there was a lot wrong tactically. And they had a 20-minute period. And they were better in the second half. He, re he reshaped the team. They were still all over the place. It was still parts of the, the game that they just weren't... They were managers who know how to set up a team. And they set you up and will make it really difficult. Everton, whatever formation, as you touched on, Hugh, a four, three, or a five and full back, a wing-back sit, they don't make it easy for you. So that's down to him and his coaching staff. Whoever they play, you're in a relegation battle. You have to make it really difficult. They Think of their wins. They've beaten Boreham Wood in the Cup. 
They beat Brentford in the FA Cup, 4-1, played really well, blew Brentford away quite quickly, beat Leeds 3-0 at home. Then take after them three games. By the way, Leeds were in dreadful form at the time. Brentford had, had also been in a run of like six defeats in mm-hmm. seven games. You know, all these things, he hasn't really beaten any one of note. And you probably could say the the team that was in the best form he played was Newcastle when you was at the game. And you you know, you've said what what we witnessed, that was actually very fortunate to win that game. I think he's got to he's got to show his capability as a manager to keep Everton up. They, they, they've got a buffer, but that's only a buffer, uh, what, for the next, what, oh, they got left? Ten games, something mm, like that? Mm. Nine games? Yeah, big games coming up as well. They're away at West Ham, which will probably be a, a very difficult fixture for them. Then they go to Turf Moor, which is a huge game. Look, we'll see what happens with Everton in terms of what goes on on the pitch. But, Tom, I did want to discuss with you an article from our colleague, of course, our great friend on the podcast, Jonathan Northcroft, who dissected what's going on at Everton at the moment. It's a brilliant detailed piece. You can read it on the Times app right now. He basically says Everton need a fresh start on the pitch, but also in the boardroom to bring back their their glory days. He spoke about the mentality. He spoke about Thursday night and the way that it was a throwback to the Everton of old and Goodison Park of old. He also details the relationship between the owner, Farhad Mashiri, and Alisher Uzmanov, the Russian billionaire who has been sanctioned by the UK government over alleged links to the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and the huge financial losses that have been incurred by the club in recent years as well. As Alisson's alluded to, they might be about to hit a period where they're going to have to sell all of their top assets. So even if they stay up this year, can they survive what's coming in the next two or three seasons, most likely? Well, you've you've compartmentalised them there, Hugh, and I actually I think they're they're part of the same thing, which um which is which is what Johnny's written about really, and and as you say, it is an excellent piece, um, and it's because you know I look I look at Lampard taking the job there, and. I think he's probably saw it as an attractive prospect, uh, this historical club that punched above its weight, that always had potential, that could always do great things, the the atmosphere of Goodison Park and all that. But that was a totally different Everton. The Everton in recent years that, that Johnny outlines spending ridiculous amounts of money and 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 to me there's there's an arrogance there because it's it's missed it's missed this the realism of what's going on now it's missed the prospect of being in a relegation battle um and going down which as as Johnny highlights would be almost financially apocalyptic for them because who knows where they go from there? Um, it's a, it's a dire situation, and jumping into bed with Usmanov was 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 a nightmare for them, and it's and it's working out that way. And really, they they miss the the years of the the real Kemrite in charge. They miss that entirely, and it's not the same club as it was anymore. And I think. I look at Frank Lampard talking and I actually think that he's probably someone who regrets taking the job already because um, because it's not the same club that it was and because, you know, we, we saw this coming before, before his era and he, he keeps tapping into that as well. It is so messy off the field. It feels like ages since Rafa Benitez was there, but he was given the power 
Marcel Brands was out of there, Luca Dini was out of there. A month later, Rafa Benitez was out of there. It's just so messy off the pitch there that you can understand why that filters onto the pitch. Uh, we will see if Everton recover. To be perfectly honest, I just think their form needs to improve. It's a very simple thing to say, but out on the pitch, I haven't yet seen anything that makes me, you know, not concerned. Let's go back to the FA Cup though because Palace move on to face Chelsea in the semi-finals an all-London affair at Wembley but on Middlesbrough who were beaten 2-0 by Chelsea uh, Chris Wilder can be proud of his team I think because in the end uh, Tony it was the depth that Chelsea had that, that really showed of course the class as well Yeah well if you look at obviously Balogun and Connolly up front for for Borough, you know, two young lads given an opportunity at the Riverside to show what they can do. Um, you know, you just, you know, you, you just look at the team and you think there's such a golf. You see Timo Werner come on, you're seeing Gola Kante, you're thinking, wow, Romelu Lukaku's not been, you know, in the greatest of form, but leads the line really well against Borough. This, it's, it's, it feels like the David and Goliath scenario, mm. we all use the cliche of David and Goliath. It felt like David was the tiniest David and Goliath was as big as it's ever been. Um, and I thought, look, they've had a great cup run. Yeah. Um, look, Chris Wilders took on a job where a team was you know, not that far off the relegation pack when he, he first started. He knows there's a lot of change to be made. He'd done a bit of business in the January window to try and bolster the squad. They got themselves to a playoff position uh, or close to being in the playoffs. I thought they, they were valiant in their attempt to try and cause Chelsea problems. Um, but it's just a, so much level of different quality. Um, but they've still got to be proud because they've played with a lot of pride and, and they never stop. He's got a team of really committed players that just keep going and keep... I was lucky enough to go and watch them at QPR and they got a 2-2 draw, should have won the game, um, but was really pleased by the effort and endeavour, which is really a Chrissy Wilder side anyway. And if they're not that, they're going to get hammered. And it's easy to get hammered by Chelsea, City or Liverpool, isn't it? Mm. You know, so. No, the, the, best, the best thing, watching it, the, st- the thing that stopped it being really quite boring and predictable was the fact that the Middlesbrough players didn't behave like it wasn't, it couldn't happen. That There was a, a level of belief there, yes. which yeah. you, you'd you hope players would have. I mean, it was patently obvious. The, the evidence was there. They were not going to win the tie, but they, they played as though they thought it was possible right up until the final second. Mm. So well, it, stopped, record, it, stopped, it stopped it, it being a ridiculous match to watch because you felt, yeah. well, if they believe it, I can believe it a little bit. Uh, Al, his teams have got a lot of late goals. You know, he has done it regularly where his teams seem to come back and they've had a few sort of, you know, needing last ditch. They're good you know, at weathering the storm yeah, as and, well. Yeah, and they keep, they keep going. But that's, you know, that's where they are. And, and um, I mean, look, Al's interviewed Chrissy Wilder recently, didn't you? He went up there and spent a bit of time and you sort of get the feeling of why his team play the way they do. He's everything Frank Lampard isn't, actually. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll leave that there. We'll come back to it, I'm sure, particularly if Chris Wilder's managing in the Premier League at the start of next season and Frank Lampard's managing in the Championship. We shall see. Uh, you went to one of the other games in the FA Cup this weekend, though, Alison. Uh, Manchester City beating Southampton. What were your key observations on that game? Well, I felt privileged to be there. It was we, at half-time, people were coming and going in and out the press room and in and out with the commentary boxes and so on. Everyone was beaming and coming out with a cliche. Oh, this is a proper cup tie, isn't it? Both teams just went for it, uh, in particular Southampton, which was probably foolish against City, because if you give City 
space on the brake, they will sigh through you. But the football was so attractive. It was end-to-end stuff. Um, the prettiest football was played by Southampton. Some of their sweeping moves were absolutely gorgeous. And the finishing from City was far, far better than Southampton's finishing. Um, so you, you just, I mean, as, as you always talk about in the cup, let alone in the league, the, the, the team more expensively assembled has better options off the bench. And uh, Rihad Mahrez in the flesh is always a complete delight to behold. I honestly think if I could own one player from City, it would be him. There's something utterly breathtaking about how relaxed he looks but how lethal he is he's quite splendid and weirdly both managers are very happy at the end I mean Ralph Hasenhutl just I think he just thought it was a free hit cup game uh, it was, but, but slightly strange actually thinking about it because he's held City to two draws in the league this season he's got their measure so going into it if there's going to be one team that Pep's going to feel slight, just slightly tiny bit wobbly about it might be Southampton and yet he didn't play the way he'd played previously against them uh, he was far less cautious and just allowed the team to play um, which you know statistically you know 90% of the time that isn't going to work against a team of City's class but they gave us they gave neutrals they gave and indeed, fans of both teams, absolutely beautiful match. And don't look at the score, one, four, and think, oh, that was that was too easy, that was one-sided. It didn't feel like that at all. It was it was really splendid stuff. And which group of fans now think you've got a vendetta against their club? This week, of course. Well, you know, having written two pieces uh, which were critical of Newcastle fans and Eddie Howe, the Newcastle manager, how very little was said nothing at all was said in the wake of Saudi Arabia executing 81 men in one day. And the news of that came just before Newcastle played Chelsea, which, of course, surrounded by sanctions, and I called it the ethics derby because there was so much to unpick in terms of morality in that fixture. It would have felt wrong for me to then decide, oh, I'm now going to ignore another piece of, of global news, which was that um, Sheikh Mansour hosted the president of Syria, Assad, on Friday, and this game was played on Sunday. And it's newsworthy because that happened on Friday. It's newsworthy because Chris Bryant, who's chair of the all-party parliamentary group on Russia, actually said is Sheikh Mansour a fit and proper person to own a football club? I felt I had a duty to bring this into my match report because it's news, it's just happened. And I can't believe fans of Man City don't know it, but in case they didn't, I just mentioned a fact that the United Nations estimates that 350,000 people have been killed in the civil war in Syria. And yet you have images of Sheikh Mansour hugging Assad. And I mean, I didn't even mention the fact that Assad and Putin are mates. You know, the, the, <laughs> the morality pit on this one is huge. I would be being hypocritical if I didn't mention that in the same way I didn't mention the 81 men executed in a previous match report. But fans don't like you to spoil the party. They don't like you to bring in the real world into the ownership model of their club but given current 
currently we are all thinking about who owns clubs, how we want to go forward, have we done the right thing in our fit and proper persons tests in the past. And given this was a news story and a very recent news story, I'd be interested if anyone, if anyone could argue that I should not have mentioned it. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if anyone actually gets in touch <laughs> you, with us. You, you, Do you think I should? No, no, no. I, okay. I, I agree with Tony, it. I, I, I thought you were. Sorry, I thought that question was going out into the ether to any, Every, well, everyone, any, including anyone listening, the people, including Tom Roddy and Tony Cascarino. Anyone in the room? <laughs> have I read no. the room wrong? No, you haven't. Uh, look, look, it's, uh, look I, uh, just a quick word on this sort of subject because when I first came into football in the 80s we were very, very aware of political things that happened in, in the world but we were never would speak out, you know. I can remember, and I'll tell this story, um, I got invited to go to a pub in Kilburn in the late 80s and I went along and the bucket came round. It was obviously for the calls in Ireland, which is the IRA. And I remember being there and thinking, what do I do? I'm in a pub, and it was quite clear that it was a very um, cause-related sort of funding, mm-hmm. and thinking, how do I get Were out? you playing for Ireland at the time? Yeah, yeah, I'd played for Ireland, but I was playing for Millwall. At the yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I got asked to but, go... But everyone in the pub knew you were a Republic of Ireland yeah, international. Exactly, but yeah. when, when I got asked along to go along, I said, but they're, they're fundraising. And I didn't think of, oh, what calls? What was it for? What particular? I only found out on the night. And mm. I remember thinking, wow, what do I do here? You know, obviously, I don't agree with what's been going on in Ireland. And, you know, mm. where, but this is the spectrum of sport. Sport has become very political in the last sort of two decades and probably the last two or three years. Because if you even look at Olympics, you look at golf and players used to go regularly to Saudi Arabia, get money, get paid handsomely. And now we've had the golf tour. And, mm. and see, parts of the world are coming into football uh, and sport in general where you could raise your eyebrows at a lot of you know, pot- uh, potential owners. And I think it's right to call a, call them out because we can't have... You know, there are scenarios where there's stealing a pen and robbing a bank where some people have done way worse than others. But let's get this right. Football fans really don't care as long as they're successful, mainly. Not all fans. I'm not speaking for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is an element within football that think, don't care. We're, if we're winning, this gives us a great team. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, and that's the scary scary part for me is well what do you what do you do do you just keep quiet and let all these things happen in the world um so it's a very awkward conversation politics politics and sport have come together and you know we're all aware and I'm, i mean listen to how they explain it's you know it's a horrific situation that's happened and because you've mentioned it in a in an article you'll have fans that are very angry yeah. you've mentioned it well why shouldn't you no i agree i, I think you did the right thing I don't know why you would think you didn't. Well, because of the level of abuse you get. But, I mean, if you don't describe a goal properly, they abuse you, don't they? I mean, that's just... <laughs> you get abuse for everything now. I'm surprised the grammar police aren't, aren't after you and stuff like that. I mean, it is just... It's part of it now, isn't What's it? What's wrong with my grammar, Hugh? No, 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 no. I'm not surprised they're not after you, but, I mean, there's always <laughs> there's always someone critical of every element of everything that you do. That's now part of the territory, isn't it? Yes. I'm not saying that they should abuse you, by the way. There's, uh, there's, an, there's being annoyed because someone doesn't feel you've given a goal the credit it deserves. And there's that sort of deep, visceral hatred because you've dared to bring politics into it. There's different levels of... Um, yeah. Just as there's different levels of morality, there's different levels of abuse. By the way, it's mid-morning on Monday and you're the second journalist that I've spoken to about the abuse that they've received. Another, <laughs> another wrote an article on Spurs and it has been abused for mentioning the two words Manchester United 
United as part of their piece on Tottenham and links to Conte as now with all the Spurs fans all over him saying why have you mentioned Manchester United this is ridiculous so it's now happening a lot isn't it listen let's continue with the voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iPhone here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. City moving on, of course, they beat Southampton 4-1. Huge game in the semi-final. We'll all be all over it. They will be taking on uh, Liverpool next after their 1-0 win at Nottingham Forest, who can probably, Tom, count themselves a little bit unfortunate in some respects. Yeah, yeah, definitely unfortunate. The, the penalty or non-penalty was, was a, a big point for me. I mean, I do wonder, I really do wonder if it had been Diogo Yota who goes down, whether that does end up getting given. I'm really not sure. Even though I, 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 as soon as I saw that, Hugh, I actually thought of you and I thought <laughs> that is a, is a, Hugh will be talking about this being a Jamie Vardy incident where just leaving the trailing leg to be caught. But I just wondered whether, had it been Yota going down, then it would have been a penalty. Forrest, uh, I, I, it sounds so patronising, I'm sorry, but Forrest can take absolute pride from it. It's in one of those runs where so many individuals will will benefit as well as the club. I mean, James Garner and Jed Spence, the, the kind of focus that they have on them now and, and m- even more so than that, Steve Cooper. I mean, it's one of those seasons and, and one of those runs where you, you can picture now in a couple of years Steve Cooper being linked to the Brighton job, to the Brentford job or, or Palace, something like that. It's it's one of those runs that gets people's... Um, gets people's you know, it gets the spotlight on them and, and where they'll go from here. The, the, the I, I said about the penalty, the, the big moment as well, of course, is is Zinkenagel, the miss mm. that he had, I and mean, it was, it, it it was that is that is the difference between those two teams. Um, and I was quite interested to ask Cass about with with a miss like that. How do you? Uh, not saying you missed as many at Cass. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I oh, promise. I have. <laughs> but how when that does happen, 
how do you get over it? How, how do you, how are you that evening? How are you in the days? How long does it take to get over it? And how do you get over it? Well, in the moment, you don't think, how am I going to get over it? You just hope you get another great chance. But after the game and the days after and beyond, you think, I still have, and I've had this dream on numerous occasions, of me missing a one-on-one at Gillingham versus Neville Southall that I've put past the post a thousand times. I've had that dream so many times. It's probably been my most commonest dream. Mm. And you don't get over it. Uh, You're reminded about it often as well, which doesn't help, Tom. Um, Look, the massive difference between top-flight football and championship and different levels wherever you go is clinical Yotta's finish was clinical okay Forrest's finishing wasn't and if they would have finished better they'd have won the tie quite comfortably and that is ultimately the difference so when you see numbers of players in the championship who get 30 goals 25 goals or 20 what will they get in the top flight it's going to be lower well probably 50% and sometimes more because top flight footballers will punish you You know, that is ultimately the difference. I played with John Aldridge, who played all levels. John was clinical at all levels, which is pretty rare. You know, where you can go play second division, gets loads of goals, takes it up to a higher division, gets loads of goals, then gets to the top flight. I remember John Aldridge going to Real Sociedad um, and played against Barcelona. He scored two against Barcelona. And I remember thinking, it didn't surprise me because John was clinical. And and that, to me, is the biggest difference in the game, that mm. you get punished if you don't take your chances. Two very good coaches. And, of course, Steve Cooper worked at, at Liverpool for five years in the academy. We know he won a World Cup with England in the under-17s as well. Forrest have been not just impressive... Uh, amongst the best teams in the championship since he took over. In fact, they have automatic promotion form since Steve Cooper went there. Mm. We know there are a couple of very good players in their team at the moment that probably won't be at Forest next season. So that will affect things for them. Do we think Steve Cooper will be a Premier League manager at some point next season? Well, Tom just said that he, the Brighton job, didn't you, Tom? He said he could have the Brighton job. It's the kind of job. It's definitely the kind of job. <laughs> Poor Grandpa has been uh, no, And Thomas Frank. <laughs> and but Thomas Tom, Frank. Tom brought up, you know, how do you feel if you've missed... Oh, I don't think it was such an easy chance, actually. It wasn't the most awful miss I've seen. But the, no. play, the Nottingham Forest player... Score. I know he's got to score. But <laughs> the Nottingham Forest player who really ought to be dreaming the sort of dreams that Tony has is is Yates, because he could have scored. The header? I, it, no, the penalty uh, decision. Oh, the, yes, yes. He yes, should yes, have, yes. instead of looking for the penalty, he was in a great position to skip, skip over Alisson, who missed mm. the chance to intercept the ball and scored. Yeah. Oh, he was well, thinking, he seemed to be thinking, because of the way his foot went into Alisson, he was looking for it. Yeah, he was so his dragging first thought, his leg, wasn't His it? first thought mm. was... Pen. Pen, rather than score. Mm. And that, yeah. that should haunt him. Yeah, probably we will so. And he also had a header late on now, where you think, great chance. And that's where, that was ultimately the difference in the two teams on the day. Because Liverpool didn't play, they had moments, but look, I mean, you, you, you're not going to get a better opportunity of beating Liverpool because they didn't play nowhere near like yeah, as we... Yeah, but that's what Liverpool are doing at the moment. They're playing, <laughs> they're deliberately playing at 75% so that they can get the quadruple. <laughs> you can't get a quadruple if you play 100% every game, Tony. No, I, I look, hey, they're, they're a terrific football team as we know. Um... <laughs> it'll be forgotten quite quickly and now we're on to, you know thinking about Man City in the semi-final um, you know 
big change. I, I didn't get an answer to my question though. Oh right. Will, will, will Steve <laughs> Will Steve Cooper be a Premier League manager at some point next season, whether it's with Forest or someone else? I yeah. think he'll have a. Sorry, I was just going to say he'll have a great chance of getting Forest up. They're a, they're a side that could get get through the playoffs. I think they'll make the playoffs, and they would be my favourites to get through. So I think he'll have a great chance of being a Premier League manager. And if he doesn't, I, if you'd be a fool of a mm. Premier League club bottom half club anyway if you weren't had got your eye on him because he comes over so well comes Talks over well so his well. T- team are really well set up as well he also doesn't have um, he doesn't have the highs and the the, the lows um, which I think is really important in management we were talking about um, Frank Lampard earlier and, and you you were absolutely spot on Hugh um, the and even I actually think Ralph Hasenhutl, however much I like him at times, though, you know, the being on your knees in tears after beating Liverpool um, and then the, the, the nine nils, it's there, there's management is all about consistency and you hear it a lot from them. You hear it a lot from players about not being too high and not being too low. And Steve Cooper has has a real calmness about him. Um and, and I think he's an attractive prospect to any Premier League club. Well, maybe not any, but a lot. Well, as we're mentioning the Premier League, I do I do have a bone to pick with Alison Rudd. Uh, so you're not this. Is you know, more it's, abuse? It's you? not just the only people. It's not just the social media people today. It's me as well. City's one point lead is far more fragile than Liverpool's winning momentum. So you say, show reasoning, Miss Rudd. <laughs> well, that was the headline. I don't yeah. think I actually put it like that. <laughs> no, but the, the main point of my uh, piece that you're referring to, which is my Sunday Times column, was I found it a... Mu- well, I found it, A, a privilege, because I saw uh, City Live and Liverpool Live uh, within 48 hours or whatever it was. And we're back to in-person press conferences, so you could, you know see the men close up and how they're handling the title challenge and Pep didn't say much but uh, Klopp called momentum a fragile flower that it's he hates momentum it can be stepped on and killed at a moment's notice and you just have to try and cope with momentum which just seemed to me uh, very amusing because for as long as you have got momentum you are the scarier prospect and although he will say, and his players say, oh, they'd rather be in City's position and have the extra point. There's something about being hunted down and the one being the hunter that gives... uh, There's more spark to Liverpool's challenge at the moment because they're chasing and because it's so close. And momentum... I mean, I've mentioned it on the podcast, Liverpool are playing within the percentage elements they need. So... They didn't shine against Nottingham Forest because they didn't need to, because they're pacing it right, because they understand momentum is more important than dazzling people with five goals or whatever. And there's something ominous and quite terrifying, if you're City, about a Liverpool team that have that momentum and seem to be in control across the competitions they're in. in so in that sense, although starkly, mathematically, City are favourites for the title... If I wouldn't be comfortable if I was in charge of City. Isn't isn't the reason for that uh, pressure that if you are the hunters then and you do catch your prey, then uh, it's a huge achievement. Whereas if you're the mm. team in control and you are caught, then it, it's a collapse. Um, there, there isn't as 
such great expectation on Liverpool to win the title right now as much as there is on City because it would be a collapse if you were City. Mm. And yeah. also it's already a collapse, Tom, because they had a 14-point lead two mm. months ago. Two games in hand yeah. Liverpool, but yeah. yeah. The, it was, the it was, it it was, was a 14-point It was officially lead. 14 points, yeah. but, you know, yeah. Liverpool had two games, games in, in hand. Games in hand don't mean anything. <laughs> well, if you look at the running... Still eight, with, even if they won them, and that is a big way. Well, if you look at the running, City's running looks far better. Um, that doesn't mean anything. It just means they've got games you expect them to win. Um, I did a thing with... Do you remember Sonia Sullivan, the runner, the Irish runner? Yes. Sonia Sullivan. I did a, um, a, a TV programme in Ireland and she was notorious for the mentality of... And she spoke about it that when she was second and she was in a race and she was, a, I think, a 1,500-metre runner, uh, she, would, she would be second. She was so comfortable. She knew that that was her best to stay just behind the lead runner. The moment she surpassed her, she went into meltdown and panicked. Now, that's individual, OK? Now, I can remember the Arsenal game at Anfield when the Arsenal needed to win 2-0. And they managed it so well, that particular game under George Graham, and got over the line against Liverpool. Now, there is something about... When you're behind and you are chasing, that there isn't as much fear. The fear is much more on the people in front. And do they panic? Will this City team, like Kevin Keegan's Newcastle, go into meltdown? It seems unthinkable, impossible. They've got so many great players. But you know what? Strange things happen in sport on a regular basis. Now, if this goes down to... Sorry, Hugh. I go just, ahead. Just say, if this goes down to the, the Etihad, which is quite soon, where mm. City, if they come up against Liverpool and they're, they're drawing the game and think, well, if we keep this at a draw... We're still in front of them, mm. and we could, we we confident we can win games after. But what we don't do is lose to them. But Liverpool don't play games away from home any different from they play at home. The attraction of Liverpool and City is that they come after you all the time. Mm. That's what they do in your home patch. They can go to Old Trafford and go and beat you because they're coming after you at your own patch. Mm. Liverpool will have the intention of going after City. So I find that all the mindset of this is just brilliant. But what, what I was going to say is because it's funny that you use the word meltdown. I spoke to a Liverpool mate earlier on in the season when Liverpool were those 14 points behind. And he was saying that one of the disappointing things is that you can't really enjoy it because even if you draw one match and you drop two points, you feel like the title's gone. And City didn't need to melt down. No. To, to they, they, they drew with Palace. They lost the game earlier on the season and that's enough because Liverpool's winning run is so consistent and they had the same thing in previous seasons. I mean, it takes two matches and that's it. The, the title's gone, basically. So, uh, like you say, if Liverpool keep that winning momentum going, they're, they're, you, you can have a fantastic season, get 95 points, and you're not going to win the title. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for football, but it, it hopefully will be an incredible title race either way. But I basically think it will come down to that game and then they'll just both win every other game after that point in time. So, yeah, if, if that is an interesting title race. We've had that argument before. I'm not I'm not sure, but there you go. I did want to mention one other game in the Premier League, Tom. I don't know if you saw it. I hope you saw it. Antonio Conte's Tottenham beating West Ham 3-1 at home. Spurs moving to within three points of Arsenal there in fourth at the moment. Spurs have played a game more, however. I think West Ham's big job now is going to be staying in the top seven and getting European football for next season uh, from here. But the key to the game was Kane and Son linking up once again. Yes, it's it's a 
it's a magical partnership really isn't it we never the one with Lampard and Drogba for for years and years for them to surpass that that and and you know where's that going to end when's that going to be well beaten? at the end of the season it's going to end actually <laughs> when Harry Kane leaves well, we, we can, it's, it's in a whole other topic but I still believe it's going well, to happen and and I wouldn't bet that it's it's going to uh, become even a greater record to beat even if he does leave at the end of the season because um, it's 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 just and it really benefits from Conte to be honest because of the way his style of play um, we knew it would to be honest with West Ham it's a real it's a tricky period at the moment because um, they've got to as they have done all season juggling their European schedule but it was interesting to see Moyes calling out Antonio again I don't think um, I don't think he's been particularly keen on him playing for Jamaica at the beginning of the season, um, which of course he quite understandably would want to, but it 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 did impact his form then, and I don't I don't believe he's scored a goal a Premier League goal since New Year's Day, which is is quite remarkable to being the striker of a side that has reached the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Um, and of course, on top of that, now Jared Bowen's injury, which which seems to be worse than we maybe first expected, that that's that's a real problem for West Ham um, going into the end of this season. Of course, they there was a, a bit of burnout towards the end of last season, and and it, and it it's likely to happen again because they they haven't quite got the squad depth um, that others have around them. And I hope I'm wrong because yeah. they're they're a real. As Tony said earlier about the comparison with Crystal Palace, they're 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 a great club to watch, and it's it's great to see them doing well. Yeah, no Premier League goal uh, since New Year's Day. Did get one in the FA Cup defeat at the start of March to Southampton, but um, not the Mikel Antonio that we'd come to expect. Although I don't blame him that much because Mikel Antonio said himself at the end of the January transfer window that he did want, he actually encouraged competition and actually wanted the club to have signed another striker. And yeah, the travel um, to Central America isn't going to be great in the Caribbean, of course, um, for him, for the, the qualifiers for the World Cup. Um, um, but that's who he represents. I don't think David Moyes should call him out for that necessarily. Um, he just needs to get him scoring for his club side when he's out there. Um, and obviously he hasn't been out there as much as he, he needs to be. Is there a particular problem when you watch Mikel Antonio playing at the moment in terms of his game, Tony, that he could work on to, to help him score more? Well, I wouldn't question his effort and his desire. I mean, he leads the line really well and he's always available for a teammate. And, his finishing hasn't been as good. He had a really good chance yesterday, uh, which he screwed wide of the post. Um, West Ham are not really suited to having a, a style that is going to get centre-forwards loads of goals anyway. I think sometimes he's overachieved, getting close to 10. Do I see a West Ham striker going 15 goals in a season? I think it's quite unlikely because their their, their powerhouses, their midfield and their wide players that can make the difference. He's really a battering ram in some sort of sense with more than just that because he's quick and he can certainly technically, he's got some great goals in the early part of the season, didn't he? But if we're going to have an honest conversation about this, You've got to say, it's quite obvious if you're going on long travels, like we've had with South American players when they go on international duty, managers get worried because the travelling, the playing and everything that comes with it sometimes has a downturn for your your club form. And that has certainly played a part for Antonio. Um, 
Tottenham, nine wins, eight losses in the last 17 played. Um, they're a 50-50 side, if you like. Um, do you think they're going to have the, the right level of consistency to reach the top four? Next four Premier League games, Newcastle, Villa, Brighton and Brentford. They could eye maybe nine out of 12 points there, if not more. Well, if they were anyone other than Tottenham, you'd say, sure, <laughs> sure, they'll, they'll win all those four, with given, given the size of club they are and the players they have. But there's always a mini implosion around the corner. I mean, at some point, Conte's excellence as a coach has to kick in and he has to stop this up and down nonsense that Spurs have um, but maybe you know maybe they're, they're, that that characteristic is bigger than any manager bigger than any stage and bigger than any fan base you just can't stop Spurs being Spursy so I, I would, definitely wouldn't put money on them winning those four matches no he spoke he spoke yesterday afterwards and he feels like it's slightly changing doesn't he he spoke as if like he feels that some of the stuff he's trying to implement into the club is showing signs of improvement because he's recognised it he's come to terms that this is something that has to change at this football club has he sacrificed a goat or something I mean what you no but, but he's <laughs> he, he's talking about being on the training ground hour where he's not working tirelessly to make this team so much harder and you know you, you take his two signings that have come in and both done well I think he's trying to have change I, I think there is they do look a less Spursy team under Antonio Conte. But even just, at, they've just been very, very Spursy. No, they have been. I think initially, oh, I totally agree. I think there's been periods when they've been Spursy, but I do feel they're coming. Their away win at Brighton, I thought was decent. They were by far the better team. And you could say, well, Brighton have been on a terrible run. They played West Ham at a great period because they've just played a big game against Sevilla in midweek. So you could say, well, that is expected. That 3-1 win. I just feel there's a slight change and they might be able to put pressure on Arsenal. I think something important is happening for Antonio Conte in terms of recruitment going forward. Dejan Kulisevsky's had a pretty good start. Yeah, he looked good. Rodrigo Bentancur in the central yeah. midfield alongside Hoiberg has had a very good start. Christian Romero, fit again, is playing quite well. Three players who came from Serie A, two of them for not massive prices Romero was around 40 million but he was a highly rated young centre back and there aren't you know they don't come too cheaply at the moment particularly ones that are quite mobile and quick but if he is going to go back to the board and say I want players from Serie A and the market there is not the same in terms of high prices and he says I can get you good value there and we can get players who can massively improve Spurs then the performances of those three players I think are going to indicate to the board that it might be a good idea and if he can continue to do it well, then we could see a much, much higher quality Tottenham. Oh, going and the right age the key, you, Q, as well. The key to stop mm. being Spursy is to turn into an Italian club. Ah, well, that's why you brought Antonio Conte in. Mm. Yeah, and it works. It works in the Premier League. There are other big games and big results in the Premier League this weekend. A big win for Leeds in particular. I don't know if they're safe as yet, but that was huge. And, of course, the win for Arsenal as well. And once again, being accused of, of celebrating like they won the league. So I will mention those two because we haven't got too much longer on the podcast, but very important three points. And I'm sure we'll come back to those two teams very very quickly but I, I did want to end the podcast by asking you guys about awkward interviews I don't know if you saw the Villa boss Steven Gerrard after that game against Arsenal speaking to BT Sports Des Kelly they've got a good relationship clearly um, but it was awkward for parts there as um, 
as Stevie G, tried to give a bit of an education to Des Kelly and said, I think your questions could have been a little bit better. And I know they're good pals and they had a good laugh at the end of it. Um, but it did immediately, as a journalist who I was asking questions at the um, Ireland-Scotland game of the Six Nations, and believe me, you do get a bit fearful, particularly with some of these big rugby coaches that they're going to go at you. And Stuart Hogg wasn't overly happily with, happy with me. And again, it, I wouldn't want to fancy taking him on. Um, but as we're all journalists, I, I thought I'd ask you about your most awkward interviews in your career if you've ever had one and Tony for you as a player whether you've had an awkward interview as well yeah. with the journalist and whether okay. you we'll start, whether, start with Val because she's having a good think while I can have a little bit uh, more uh, uh, do you know I reckon I reckon, I reckon Tom Roddy's Tom, probably had start the, with Tom then. Tom's probably had the most awkward interviews out of all of us because Tom's got a particular style of asking questions you see it's quite it's quite you know what do you think Tom that, that sounds like I'm quite confrontational doesn't it That's, sure. you, you, your, your questions are in in some ways not emotional so um so you know you might be accused now of, i'm emotionless of, of, of <laughs> <laughs> they're direct to the point they're concise let's call it that when erling harland first came on the, the scene for uh for 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 dortmund and was being interviewed we we quickly got the sense that he wasn't the best person <laughs> at uh pitch side interviews so it it possibly wasn't the greatest idea to try and play on the idea of um, something that he'd said the previous weekend uh, about the, the the ball after scoring a hat-trick being his girlfriend because he was asked whether he was taking his girlfriend to bed after scoring another hat-trick uh, I think it was last season and it, it <laughs> that was painful to watch yeah. and I'd urge anyone to, to, to Google that <laughs> if they want to cringe <laughs> <laughs> Tony? Um, I've had journalists in front of me, and some of them, I can't remember their names, but have been very awkward. And Sorry about one, that, Tony. Uh, no, 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 Tom. <laughs> but I had one particular guy in Ireland who worked for The Sun in Ireland, and he clearly had an agenda that I felt like he had stalked me, you know, where he literally had every little detail on me. Okay. <laughs> and it was nothing to do with... That's how I feel about you, Tony. <laughs> nothing to no, do with your performance. Nothing to do with my performance, but it was just generally my life. And I, I had to say, can you can you stop? <laughs> this is getting really silly. We've, I've just played a game. Can we talk about the game that I've played? And, you know, if I've not played well or I've made a mistake. And he just kept referring back to different parts of my career. So I had to eventually say, look, we need to stop this, you know, because this isn't going to go good because I was going to lose it in a minute because mm. he clearly was going after me and my character. And that was just painful because you want to be nice and you feel like there's a duty for someone who's interviewing, just give you the respect that you're prepared to sit there and have an interview. And, you know, we can have a chat and you can ask me. I don't mind. I will tell you and Tom will tell you. I will ask, answer difficult questions. But if you're just going to go for me mm. and keep, keep going for me even when I say no come on you can't do that you know he got to my personal life and it's like this stop 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 is, is that the only time you've walked out uh, I didn't walk out but I made it oh, quite clear to him that um, I thought his interview was dreadful stupid <laughs> dumb um, and he just well I, I wanted to ask you some personal questions as well and it's like why why I'll tell you my personal stuff but not on where you're coming from me from a really bad angle. I felt like I was being trapped. I see. And I, and I didn't like it because, like I said, if I interview someone, I always give them respect. Even if I'm going to ask them a difficult question, I'm not going to make it a question that it's impossible for them to answer. Alison Rudd, 
one of sports journalism's great interviewers. Yes. You, you've got to tell us. <laughs> they, they, they come across in the paper like they all go splendidly well. So is that the reality? Most do. The, the most awkward I've ever had wasn't in the realm of football, but in fact, tennis. Ash Barty. I, I was asked hurriedly, sort of like, oh my God, she's available. She just won the French Open. She's available for interview. And uh, so I looked at profiles that other people had written and I was told that she was very passionate about um, her Aboriginal roots and the rights for the Indigenous people of Australia. So I thought, well, that would be nice to explore. <laughs> she, I, she, she, well, the thing she said about me off the record, I won't say because it were off the record, she did not like me at all. She misunderstood every question I asked her. She thought I was trying to turn her into some sort of political activist. I just misread the whole, all her background information. I, it, it was inaccurate. She she did not want to sit there and talk about politics at all. And that meant my subsequent questions about tennis sort of were met with icy glares. And somehow I contrived a very pleasant interview from it. But I misjudged. I don't really blame myself because I did my research. If I hadn't done any research, it would have gone much better. So sometimes, you know, being ignorant is bliss. It, I just misjudged it completely. And I would say of all the people I've interviewed in my entire life, she she's the only one that's just looked at me like, I don't like you. Stop talking to me. I see. Mm. 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 So not in football, though? Not in football, yeah. no. Yeah. No. Football's okay. fantastic. All right. I mean, mine was rugby. The first interview I ever did is still the most awkward. <laughs> to have to um, go in... Basically, I was asked, and I was just young... Just starting out in my career, and it was the biggest hospital pass of my career. <laughs> and it was clearly the one that basically they'd asked everyone else in the office to do, because I was going off to uh, speak to Brian Redpath, who was um, the head coach at Sale Sharks at the time. This is rugby union, and um, it, he'd started that season, I think, with seven or eight defeats on the bounce, and he'd ended his previous job, I think it was at Gloucester. Um, with 12 defeats on the bounce. So basically, it was going... 20? Yeah, that's it. He's lost the last 20 games in a row. We want you to go and speak to him, get a one-on-one -on -one interview. Having never done any interviews before, this was really my first one, exactly. Um, and obviously, you've got a very you know angry Scott. We didn't have a previous relationship at all. And I'd, obviously, as a young, up-and-coming, you know, trying to do something, journalist had written all these notes. And he literally sat down with me and he just pulled the notes in front of him. And he went, right, what are you going to ask me? And so he knew everything immediately. He was like, I don't want to, don't want to speak about that. I'm not going to speak about that. I'm not going to speak about that. Every answer was frosty. It was the most awkward, mm. you know, and every answer was tinged with your inexperience. You don't know what you're doing. So let's just get this over and done with. No, he was avoiding the 20 defeats. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the main thing was they'd brought in a really experienced coach to be a consultant. So it was mm. like, how, how, what are your thoughts about this? And he almost felt I was implying you're about to be sacked. So, you know, are you packing your bags or not? And it was just, <laughs> honestly, it was awful. I'm glad, I'm glad I got out of there alive. And I'm here to tell the tale anyway. Uh, listen, been a pleasure as always. Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd and Tom Roddy. And thank you all for listening. There'll be more to come on Thursday. Of course, it's International Week. We'll talk women's football as well. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed and subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Sign up today. Get one month free. Uh, check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you all on Thursday take care
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.